Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Radio Free Acton, the official podcast of the Acton Institute dedicated to the study of religion and liberty. I'm your host, Caroline Roberts, and today I have the pleasure of bringing you our third RFA report segment, a special segment hosted by award-winning reporter and news anchor Anne-Marie Schieber Dykstra. On this episode, Anne speaks with Rafael Cruz, the father of 2016 presidential candidate Ted Cruz, on the involvement of Christians in the civic arena. Should the separation of church and state keep Christians from public office? Afterwards, I speak with the president of the Defense Forum Foundation, Suzanne Schulte, who is also the vice co-chair of the U.S. Committee for Human Rights in North Korea. Suzanne speaks about her opinions regarding the recent and historic Kim-Trump summit, which took place on June 12, as well as the human rights climate in North Korea. So without further ado, let's jump in. Let's go back in time, about 400 years ago when the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. They didn't leave England to endure 66 days in turbulent seas for adventure, As we've learned in history class, they were fleeing religious persecution. And when they arrived, they needed to form a government. Not for preservation, but... The glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. If there is one phrase Pastor Rafael Cruz wants his 200 or so listeners to remember this afternoon at Central Wesleyan Church, it is that. He travels the country, speaking to pastors and their congregations, to get them more involved in the civic arena. Cruz is looking for something like a personal commitment. That means not just staying informed and being an educated voter, but running for public office. The the challenges that we have in America today is because churches have not been involved. You look at the involvement that the framers were in. I mean, the American Revolution was fought by pastors. It was really started in the churches. With no notes or ever looking back at the PowerPoint behind him, he makes his case, starting with U.S. history and how much of what is in the Declaration of Independence was preached 10 years earlier from the pulpits. He tells story after story how Pastor Jonas Clark hid patriots, or Pastor Muhlenberg stripped his robe one Sunday to reveal his Continental Army uniform. I've often said, had it not been for pastors, we may still be a colony of Great Britain. If the colonial churches were overstepping their bounds, the criticism often came from inside the church, not outside. And that's where churches get it wrong, according to Pastor Cruz. When Jesus said... Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God's. The way many pastors interpret that passage is divorce yourself from Caesar. But that's not what Jesus said. That you have certain responsibilities in the realm of Caesar, and you need to be loyal to those as much as you need to be loyal to the responsibilities that you have to the realm in the kingdom of God. Does Pastor Cruz practice what he preaches? Well, you could be the judge. If his name sounds familiar, here's why. Help me in welcoming Senator Ted Cruz. (laughs) 
Pastor Cruz is the father of U.S. Senator and 2016 presidential candidate Ted Cruz. But long before his son became a household name, Pastor Cruz was preaching the divine calling of politics. It starts with his life story, arriving in the U.S. as a teenager from Cuba. When I came to this country, I didn't really have any money. I couldn't speak a word of English. But I'll tell you what, I was willing to work hard for an education. He worked as a dishwasher and a cook to put himself through the University of Texas, where he earned degrees in mathematics and engineering. In grad school, he taught math, and eventually he started an oil and gas exploration company. He embodies the American dream. Where else can you do that? And within one generation, my son is a U.S. senator and ran for the presidency of this country. Where but in America can that happen in one generation? He says his Christian faith inspires him to do things with excellence. He eventually became a preacher and tied what was happening in his native country, Cuban Marxism, to his message of politics from the pulpit. He cannot understand the romanticism that some people today associate with Marxist-inspired socialism. The worst thing about handouts, the worst thing about dependency, is that it kills the dream. It kills the dream. You remember Obama's statement. You didn't build that. That statement, at the heart of it, was you cannot do it on your own. You need the handout of the government. That destroys your desire to better yourself, destroys the dream. The Bible says, without a vision, people perish. And so, his motivation, at now age 79, to encourage others with a Christian worldview to run for public office. He says it is the Bible itself that spells out the qualifications of those who should be serving in government. Able men, next slide. Such as fear God, next slide. Men of truth, next slide. Hating covetousness. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever come across a candidate for public office that will tell you all these wonderful things they're going to do only to get elected and do exactly the opposite? Anybody here? Can I see your hands? Just about everybody. And what about this notion of separation of church and state? Thomas Jefferson's idea. Pastor Cruz understands this bedrock principle, but points out it applies to government not establishing a state religion, not Christian churches remaining silent on the great moral questions in our nation's political life. And when people of faith get involved, they have guidance from a higher source. The Bible speaks a lot about government. As a matter of fact, government is one of the three institutions that God created. God created the family in Genesis chapter 2. God created government in Genesis chapter 9. And then God created the church in the New Testament. In his talk, he cites passages that make the case for limited government and the case that it is the responsibility of the church, not government, to take care of the needy. He says the Constitution acknowledges that, and it is why the founders never spelled out government's role in decisions about education and family life. He urges listeners to be involved because silence is not an option. America 
We have seen the degradation of America over the last 80 years. It is our fault. We are our brother's keepers. We have a great, great privilege as Americans. We live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. But with that privilege comes the responsibility to make sure that this country remains free. For Radio Free Acton, this is Anne-Marie Schieber-Dykstra. The Good Society, a six-part documentary series, peels back the curtain on everyday people and situations, revealing what leads to human flourishing and happiness. Each part focuses on the elements of a good society, from a dive into our human nature to the cooperation that goes into a free and competitive economy. You'll find it in The Good Society. To learn more, visit acton.org slash TGS. This is Caroline Roberts, your Radio Free Acton host. And today I have the pleasure of bringing Suzanne Schulte onto our podcast. She is an American human rights activist and the president of the Defense Forum Foundation. The Defense Forum Foundation is a U.S. nonprofit foundation dedicated to promoting a strong national defense and promoting freedom, democracy, and human rights abroad. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Today, we're going to talk about the recent summit between the President of the United States, Donald Trump, and the current leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. Suzanne, I'm wondering what we're supposed to make of this. There is a lot of skepticism and speculation from both left and right as people wonder what the results of the summit might be. Are you ultimately one of the skeptics? Or are you hopeful about the results of what this summit could be? I am very ho- hopeful and there's a number of reasons why, but I will tell you that I completely understand the skepticism uh, and certainly the criticism that's coming. Uh, uh, President Trump's getting criticized from both the the, the conservatives and, and the liberals. Um, conservatives because of some of the things that he said and did, for example, describing Kim as an honorable man who loves his people and uh, just some things that he said that 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 really caused well actually that conservatives and liberals both were very concerned about that but also the whether this is the same playbook that's been played out by the Kim regime uh the Kim Jong Un's father we saw the same thing happen with the Kim Jong Il regime it was at it was under enormous stress um it looked like it was at the state of collapse people were starving people were fleeing and Kim Jong Il established this um this opening and and started to have negotiations, and that was the period of sunshine, known as the sunshine policy. And yet um, they made all these false promises to give up their nuclear program, to extract aid and concessions. All this money flowed in, billions of dollars that saved the regime from collapse. So a lot of people were very skeptical that Kim Jong-un is playing the same card that happened before. He, in other words, he was under he's under enormous stress. We have people. The food situation has not gotten uh, better. People, are, there's still people are chronic hunger. Um, there's the regime is under enormous stress because of the sanctions that have had a great impact on uh, putting a lot of pressure on on the elites that run the place. Um, and so. Kim Jong-un is going to make false promises. Oh, I'm going to give up my nuclear program. Show me the money. And so people feel like that same scenario is being played out. I have to say that personally, I would not have agreed to have a summit. I I wouldn't want the president of the free world on the same stage as the hereditary dictator of the least free world. 
and I was worried about the optics with the American flag and the North Korea flag. It kind of made me queasy, but I am optimistic and the, about what's going to come out of this. And I, I actually have written an op-ed that's going to be published this week called The Art of the Deal Versus the Art of Deception, because I believe that what President Trump has done has drawn in Kim Jong-un, um, and he's got him in a box now because uh, and he's done it in a way where he's opened a, basically opened up to him and everything. It's and it's actually I think going to lead to the end of the regime because Kim Jong Un absolutely must now start to dismantle his nuclear his nuclear program. And if he doesn't do that, then the sanctions will continue, and the regime. I just don't see how he can fund his army and pay for the loyalty to his elites that make it possible to stay in power. But the other thing that Trump has done is he's pulled right out from under uh, Kim. Well, pulled the rug right out from under Kim Jong Un in this. Kim Jong Un justifies his nuclear program by claiming that. Americans want to destroy them, that America is their enemy. In fact, they're, they're brainwashed to hate Americans and to think that we're out to destroy them. Therefore, the regime must have nuclear weapons to, to defend against the Yankee imperialist wolves that want to destroy them. But what Trump showed them was, no, actually Americans want you to succeed. They want you to prosper. They want you to have food and material goods. They want you to, uh, to have the same freedoms and prosperity that America and South Korea enjoy. So I believe that uh, he's boxed him in because he's got to go through the protocol of giving up the nuclear weapons or the or the sanctions won't uh, be let up. And um, if he doesn't do that, uh, then it's, there's going to be a more, even more stress on him from people w within his regime. And one of the things I'm very confident about is that Trump has incredible skills, whether you love him or whether you hate him. You have to confess, he is an incredible deal maker. That's what he's known for. That's why he was such an incredible success in business. And so I think that combined with Mike Pompeo, John Kelly, John Bolton, the team he's put together, you know, Mike Pence, who is praying a lot, has, was actually praying when the summit started. Uh, and I do believe absolutely in the power of prayer. When you think of that team that he's put together, um, I just don't think – we're going to make any of the same mistakes that have made in the past. I just I don't see that happening because this is too too strong a team that understands. I mean, John Bolton understands this regime. Uh, I think Mike Pompeo does too, and certainly John Kelly f with his background. So I think that we're not going to get hoodwinked as ha has happened in the past. So I'm optimistic. I believe this is the beginning of the end of the Kim regime. Considering the regime's hostility against America in the past, is it realistic to expect an almost an ideological 180? How hopeful are you that they can commit to denuclearization? Well, I believe that uh, the defectors are warning uh, uh, warning us about this, and it doesn't matter if you're talking to the highest-ranking defector like Tai Young Ho or just average citizens. They have said repeatedly, the defectors, you know, there's over 30,000 have escaped, have said repeatedly, Kim Jong-un is never going to give up his nuclear weapons program. He will never do that. And so... Um, the what I think what the Trump administration is trying to do is do this in a step by step. They've talked about this uh, a step by step process where we would start to see the dismantling of these programs. And of course, you know they also have um, they have different nuclear sites where they're testing, developing um, nuclear nuclear missiles. But they've also got 
they're also doing chemical and biological uh, um, chemical and biological weapons that they've also been developing. And there's other things that they're involved with that have got to be of grave concern for us. But I think that um, in answer to your question, that it's not asking too much for this uh, regime to give up their nuclear program. If if Kim Jong Un is sincere, and this is where we really test him, and this is where the Trump administration has really put him in a box, because I don't think he's sincere. But you know, maybe there's been a change of heart. That's why I, w- I wouldn't have sat down with him in the first place unless I saw some really significant changes that are happening. Like for example opening up the political prison camps for the International Red Cross to deliver humanitarian aid, allowing North Koreans freedom of movement, allowing POWs from the Korean War to come home, to go home. I would have asked for those things first before I sat down with him because that would have told me that this man really is sincere. I don't think he's sincere at all because we, we haven't seen any change. And, and even that uh, site that was blown up, where they blew up, they only blew up the entrances. I mean, it didn't really mean anything. It was all for for television. Um, so you're right. Uh, this, we, well, in the, you're right. And they're asking the question, is this too much to ask? And I would say, I don't believe so because they could give up this program immediately and they could start using the resources to help their people. And the people there are suffering. Everything that Trump, Trump, everything that I'm sorry, everything that Kim Jong Un is trying to do is to save his regime. He wants to stay in power. He's totally focused on maintaining the Kim dictatorship. So all the decisions he's, he's ma- he makes are based on what will empower him and keep him and keep him in a position to be able to reward his elites and his military so that he can maintain power. While the average citizens, there, there's nothing that he's do- done that could help the average citizens. And one thing is very important to, um, to, to note, and that is that most North Koreans are now surviving through the market system. And it's the women of North Korea that created the market system during the famine. They were the ones that went out and started trading and uh, selling to do everything they could to try to feed their husbands and their children. And they created this market system. So it's gotten to the point where there's close to 5,000 markets that are functioning. Those are just the major markets all over North Korea. That's how people are surviving. That's how average citizens are surviving. And the sanctions have actually helped the average citizens, because the North Korean regime hasn't been able to get products out to sell in the international community, so they're dumping their these things in their own markets. So there's actually the people are actually prospering more because of the sanctions, <laughs> because which is kind of ironic. But that's exactly what we, you know we we'd hoped. We wanted the regime to suffer. We didn't want the people to suffer. So I think that um, they could actually end if they were really sincere. They could ap- absolutely end the nuclear program because we've already given them, uh, you know, promises of investment and and help that would come that would help them improve the conditions in their country. So they could absolutely do that. So let's say, for the sake of argument, that the relationship between North Korea and America starts looking up, and that North Korea is loyal to perhaps a peace treaty or at least a denuclearization. Do you believe that they will be held accountable for the human rights atrocities that have taken place in the regime? Oh, I absolutely believe the human rights is the actually even more important than the nuclear issue. That's been my passion for over 20 years, is trying to get these new, the, the human rights uh, issues addressed. And that's why I had such a queasy feeling about the summit, because nothing, you know, political prison camps, the, the, the what's ha- horrible things that are happening to people who are trying to escape. Um, but 
the way that the way that the Trump administration has talked about the how this would play out and would be that they would start to dismantle their programs and it would be irreversible and verifiable. So in other words, you'd have the um, inspectors be able to go in there and, and watch and ensure that this, these programs were dismantled and that, and it would be irreversible. That's going to take some time. That's going to take months. But once that process begins to happen, then you would see the easing up of the sanctions. And I do believe that um, uh, that these I, I know that Trump has talked about he's not going to ignore the human rights issues. He did say he did say that he brought up the persecution of of Christians, for example. He did bring up these human rights issues when he met with with Kim Jong Un, and I know that these issues are very important to him because of his focus. Trump focused very strongly, more so than any president, when he gave that speech at the Korean National Assembly, which talked about all the atrocities that the regime was committing, whether it was in the political prisoner camps, whether it was the average, just the way they treat average citizens, the starvation, the treatment of women, um, the abductees, people who have been abducted by this regime. So he has spoken very eloquently about those issues, so I absolutely think that those will be addressed and that they will be part of any uh, you know, further discussions and meetings with, with North Korea. If there's anything that the people of America and the people around the world perhaps misunderstand or forget about North Korea, what do you think that would be? Well, I think the, mo- I think the most important people, the things that people need to remember is this. We see the fawning uh, people in front of the statues of Kim, o- Kim Jong-il and, and Kim Il-sung. Uh, we see the, the goose-stepping soldiers in the parades and all this propaganda, and, and that is all propaganda. There, there may be a core elite that are devoted to this regime, but that core elite has to face a choice, and that is loyalty to Kim Jong-un or death. And they don't really see another option. But I believe what Trump has done is he's given them another option, a way to, to move forward for, this, for the people there to, to, uh, to be able to succeed and to survive and to prosper. And I think he's given them that that uh, that vision and that hope, and that's why there's stress on Kim Jong-un. But one thing I really want people to understand is the average citizens of North Korea have done amazing things. First of all, as I mentioned before, the women have created a capitalist market system. That is why you don't see the level of starvation today, because they create they, capitalism is what is saving them today. They're not dependent on the public distribution system, which was the method of the past to control people. All the food, all the material goods came through the regime. That was a very powerful means of control. That is gone. That is gone. It, it ended during the famine, the public distribution system, and that's why these markets were created. But the women created the markets. The second thing that's really important to know is that they're listening to us. North Koreans are so interested in the outside world. They're risking their lives to watch Western movies, South Korean soap operas, and they're, they're, they're so much more knowledgeable and educated about the outside world. There's still, of course, a lot of um, lack of awareness in the country, but it's estimated that at least 60%, perhaps 80%, of the people are getting access of, of information outside um, the regime. In other words, before, everything was controlled by the regime. They, there was no uh, ability to listen to foreign radio broadcasts or watch tele- TVs or programs that, that were coming from outside, watching movies, wa- watching any, reading any kind of materials. All of that was completely blocked. 
everything, whether it was the movies, whether it was uh, the television uh, programs that they broadcast in North Korea, all of it was about the regime. All of it was for the glory of the regime. Every song was for the glory of the dictatorship. But all these things have, um, all this information has started to seep in. Part of the, the third thing that's important to know is that a lot of that's because of the defectors. Over 33,000 people have now escaped, and many are communicating through brokers with people. They can't make a phone call and call people in, in North Korea, but they can call brokers at the border and they use, that have cell phones that can, go, that can, be, um, that can call into North Korea. There, all these people that have escaped, many of them have family members, and we're thinking that there's at least a network of at least 100,000 people that are having regular information and communication with their loved ones that have escaped the country. But the defectors are driving this information. Defectors are involved with radio broadcasting. Defectors are involved with balloon launches where they're sending in uh, information on, through uh, using these massive balloons that – that send in pamphlets and send in USBs with, with information. They also do a thing called the rice, rice bottles where they, they fill uh, bottles, plastic bottles with rice, also DVDs and SD cards with information, movies, uh, true information, news, and um, they throw those into the, the water near Kangwang, off Kangwang Island. It washes up into North Korea. They're doing all these creative things to get information. That's what people need to understand is that the, the, there's an active campaign of getting information, and Americans are very much involved with that. We do a program called Free North Korea Radio. It broadcasts every day into North Korea. It's the most popular single hour of broadcasting, and we know that because that's based on surveys that have been done of uh, defectors that have escaped. The most popular single program, but it's an American North Korean defector partnership. In other words, the, North, the program is produced by North Korean defectors. But the shortwave transmission is totally financed by Americans, and it's a it's a daily program of news and information. We actually have a gospel program that is also broadcast on Free North Korea Radio, and that's one of the things people need to understand is that the people of North Korea are listening to us. They they know a lot more, and they've done an incredible thing in saving themselves through creating a market system there. So don't give up hope on them, even though it looks <laughs> like such a bleak place. Yeah. But that to me is the key. We have a. This, we just did North Korea Freedom Week in uh, Seoul uh, back in uh, April and May. This is a week we set aside to focus on North Korea, uh, promoting North Korea's freedom and human rights. The, the theme of the week was the truth will set them free. The truth will set them free. And it was all focused on what the defectors are doing to, um, to get information in North Korea. Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast today to discuss some of the details surrounding the summit and also to shed a clearer light on what life is like for many people in North Korea. It's encouraging to know that change is happening. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And with that, we've come to the end of another episode. A big thanks to all our listeners out there. If you'd like to learn more about the Acton Institute and what we do, visit our website at actonacton.org. Are you a regular listener of Radio Free Acton? We want to hear from you. Let us know what you like and what you would like to hear more of. You can send us an email at rfa at acton.org or leave us a message at 888-705-4180. Lastly, if you like what you heard today, give us a rating on iTunes. This episode of Radio Free Acton was produced by Caroline Roberts and edited by Nathan Moore.